And in Isaiah chapter 43, we'll be reading the first two and the first part of the third verse. We read as follows. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Let's pray. O God, King of glory, You have exalted Your Son, Jesus Christ, with great triumph to Your kingdom in heaven. Do not leave us comfortless, but send us Your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and exalt us to that place where our Savior Christ has gone before, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. The prophet's message is pretty simple. Fear not. Your translation might say, Do not be afraid. Do not fear. But his message is very simple. Fear not. He repeats that same message in the first part of verse 5. Fear not, for I am with you. Why is it that Yahweh tells His people here in Isaiah 43, Fear not. Why is it that He tells them they should not be afraid? Why is it that He encourages them? Do not fear. He tells them very plainly. He tells them in a number of statements that He makes to them in pleading with them not to fear. He tells them, first of all, I have redeemed you. In the last part of verse 3 and then in the first part of verse 4, He reminds them of His past deliverance, of how He has redeemed them before. And He brings back to their minds their captivity in Egypt. They were once a people who were expelled and taken out of the promised land and taken down into Egypt. And they were in bondage and captivity. And God saw fit to ransom them. He is the one who has redeemed them. He is the one who has been faithful to them. And He's the one that then promises them that He will be faithful, that He will redeem them. In the last part of verse 4 and then on through verse 6, he talks to them about their future 
redemption and deliverance. They are actually people living in Babylonian exile. Isaiah, in verse 39, he ends his prophecy to the people who were living during his lifetime. And in verse or in chapter 40, he begins prophesying to those who will come later. Those who are actually living in Babylonian captivity. Those who are under the thumb of Babylon. Those who are expelled from their land, expelled from their families, who are expelled from life as they have known it. And those who are living in a foreign land, under foreign rulership, and with foreign gods all around them. And he, t- he tells them here, In the midst of it, do not fear, I have redeemed you. Unfortunately, we take for granted. We take for granted what redemption is. We assume we know it's part of our working vocabulary as Christian people. People who have either grown up in the church or Folks who have um, been a part of the church for some time, we think we know what redemption means. We think we know what it means to be the redeemed people of God. And we think of God having saved us through Jesus. But in the world of the Old Testament, redemption was a family issue. It was a family matter. The Redeemer in the Old Testament was the father of the house. The oldest living male. And the burden of the family was upon his shoulders. The responsibility for land, the responsibility for finances, the responsibility for justice, the responsibility for mercy, the responsibility for food and health, the formation of character was all upon the father of the house. And in an Old Testament household, that father could be responsible for 30 people or more living in his household. Because how an Old Testament family worked was you had a family, and that family had children, and those children would get married, and they would have children. And all the boys would stay in the household. Their wives would be married into the family. They would have children. And that household was a very plain and simple house that would be added on to as the family grew. But all the responsibility of that family rested upon the father. Again, as it were, the oldest living male. Food, land, Health, justice, character, every bit of it was on him. The Old Testament gives us a a few stories of redemption that was needed and redemption that was brought through a number of very odd characters, some with which we're more familiar and others are a little bit more obscure. You remember Abraham, but do you remember Lot? Lot was Abraham's nephew. Living in the society in which they lived, Abraham was responsible for Lot and his household. And Abraham had heard 
that Lot had and his family had been under attack. And so it was Abraham's responsibility to go and to redeem Lot. He couldn't say, well, he's got his own wife and kids. They, they can fend for themselves. It was his responsibility. The story of Judah and Tamar in the book of Genesis also tell us about a family and the responsibility of a father to provide for his family. Tamar was without a child and her husband died. Judah was her father-in-law. And it was Judah's responsibility to make sure that she was provided for and cared for. Something that he failed to do. Ruth, from which Imogene gets her middle name. The story of Ruth is the story of a mother-in-law, Naomi, and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And how their husbands had died, and they were without. And on top of that, they were living in a foreign land. They were away from home, away from family. And so, Naomi told Ruth, you go, you go and go back to where you've come from. Go back to your, your people and perhaps you can find a life there but there's no life here with me that'd be appropriate for you. And Ruth told Naomi where you go, I will go. And the people you call family, I will call family. Where you die, I will die. I'm not leaving. Because that's what a family does. Ruth and Naomi make their way back to Bethlehem. And they run across Boaz, a member of the family, a landowner. And Boaz takes responsibility for them upon himself. See, this idea of this, this taking of responsibility is what is meant in the story of redemption. To speak of God redeeming us is not to speak of God just happening to show mercy toward us because He wants to. Redemption is about God as our Father saying, You are mine and I will care for you. The story of redemption and God saying here to Israel, living in captivity, living in exile in Babylon, is the story of God saying, You belong to me and I take responsibility for you. I will provide for you. I will provide food and land and health and justice and character. I will be the father of my household. I have redeemed you. Yahweh tells Israel to fear not because He has redeemed them. And also to fear not, for I have called you by your name. In the same breath of saying, I have called you by your name, He tells them, you are mine. He's telling them a number of things in that. He's telling them He knows their name. It's interesting how we meet one another. When you... um, When you meet someone you've never met before, the most appropriate thing to do and the typical thing that we do is we exchange names. Our kids meet other kids on the playground all the time and in the neighborhood all the time. And the question I always ask is, well, what's their name? And unfortunately, sometimes they say, well, I don't know. 
I say, well, shouldn't you have given them your name and asked for their name? That's how we meet people. In fact, uh, this morning I was meeting with Imogene and Addison, and I, and I, I said, when somebody meets you, what, are the, what do you tell them about yourself? And they knew the answer. Addison said, I tell them, hey, my name's Addison. What's your name? I thought, that's great. You meet somebody, they say, hey, who are you? You don't say, well, I have this color hair and these color eyes, and I happen to ride my bike, and I don't use training wheels. You don't get into all that. You first exchange names, right? And to, to give someone your name is kind of a vulnerable thing. You're giving them your identity, who you are. A name, he doesn't mention a face here, but a name and a face are two very vulnerable things. They, they, they are our identity. That's one of the reasons why when we meet someone, if we're very shy people, we don't like to look them in the eyes because we don't want to know that they're evaluating our face, that they're looking into our eyes, that they're seeing who we are. God says, I have called you by your name. Interesting thing is that in verse 7, He tells them, I have given you my name. His identity. His character. He is entrusted to them. That's Israel's problem to begin with. That's why they were under the judgment of God. is because they had profaned His name as the people bearing His name to the nations. In singing um, that song, One Who Overcomes... Right before we had Andrew read from Colossians, the epistle to the Colossians, a text that my mind immediately went to, though, was Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, John the Beloved, in speaking to one of the churches of the Revelation, says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. I will provide for him. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. God's promise to us is to give us a new name. God's promise to Israel was that they would bear his name. And God's promise to His people here as they live in captivity, as they are awaiting His redemption, as they look to their Father who has taken responsibility for them, His statement to them is, I have called you by your name. You are mine. You belong to me. It is good that God knows our name. He knows your personality. He knows your identity. He knows your character. He knows who you are. 
He knows where you've been. He knows the road you're on. And He knows where you're headed. And He's given you His name. And He says, fear not. I know you. I have spoken your name. Yahweh tells Israel living in captivity, living in Babylonian exile, I have redeemed you, I have called you by your name, and I will be with you. You know, life is rough. Life is filled with exiles, it is filled with captivity, it is filled with waters and rivers that must be crossed. It is filled with the fires of life. It's filled with uncertainty, trouble. It's filled with confusion and fear. And Yahweh says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you're crossing those rivers, you will not be overcome. When you're going through the fires, you will not be scorched because I will be there. God does not say, just call my name and I'll be there. He says, I have called your name and I will be there. That's the story of our faith. I, uh, I live my life according to Christmas. I have, uh, I've joked with Charlotte a ton of times that I'm either counting down the days to Christmas or I'm counting down the days beyond Christmas. Because then you're always, you're always looking toward or back to Christmas. You know, when you reach that six-month point, hey, we're counting down the days to Christmas again. We're, we're back there, back in that part of life. I'm, I'm, like a, I'm like a big kid in a number of ways. But that's what Christmas is. God with us. Emmanuel. That's why the incarnation matters. Jesus became one of us. The eternal Son said, I will be with you. I will be with you to such an extent that I will become an embryo in a womb. I will be with you. I will be with you in the storms of life, in the trials of life. I will cross those rivers. I myself will be baptized into those rivers. I will be with you in the fires of life, even to the extent that I will hang on a cross 
Not just for you, but with you. This past Thursday, you might have missed it. It was Ascension Day. Forty days after Easter, forty days after Jesus rose from the dead, He spent those forty days teaching and ministering as the resurrected Lord, and then He ascended to the Father. That was Thursday. Before He ascended to His Father, though, He told His disciples, wait, I'm not leaving you alone. I will not leave you as orphans. I am not abandoning you. Because He promised that the Holy Spirit would come. Next Sunday is Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come. And all of this story of redemption is about God being with His people because God will not abandon His people. He will not abandon His covenant. He will not abandon those people to whom He has given His name. And He tells us, fear not. Life stinks sometimes. Fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. And most especially, I will always, we can interject, be with you. I love that he ends this portion of what we've read with kind of a kind of a reminder of um, what's at stake here and why he's able to say, "Fear not, fear not," because I'm Yahweh. I am your God. I am the Holy One of Israel. I am your Redeemer. Perhaps you, say perhaps, and probably most definitely, you recognize that there are waters ahead in your life and fires ahead. You see the rivers that you're needing to cross. You recognize that life's not always sunshine and roses. And I would wonder what would your prayer be? What is it that you need to pray? What is it that you need to do? And what is it that you need to become? Just as a suggestion, I think it would be helpful for all of us to pray thanking God that He's with us. 
in the middle of life. That He knows our names, that He's called them, and that He promises to redeem us. Perhaps it would be helpful for us to do something tangible to trust Him. To leave something in His hands. We so often grab a hold of our things and our lives and our stuff and we leave very, very, very little room for God. We speak of trusting Him, but we're going to handle all matters on our own. And perhaps we could all become... more trusting people, more faithful people. He says, fear not. That is His plain and simple word to us. In the middle of life's uncertainties, in the middle of life's troubles, In the middle of life's confusions, fear not. Let's pray.